we got the four of us tonight. So we're going to, like I said, a little bit of a skeleton crew, but that's okay. Oh, is uh, it just the four of us? No Ryan yeah. either. No Ryan either. He's, uh, he's not feeling too well. We, uh, we had a, we had a pretty good week. <laughs> <laughs> everyone it's episode 213 of bourbon pursuit and this is a community roundtable recording so we've only got just a little bit of news that we didn't talk about in the podcast and the first one is there was a reddit ama or an ask me anything with bruce and eddie russell there was a lot of talk about the cornerstone rye which is part of their newest release but there was one question that came up on the subject of Dusty's that I found pretty interesting. And it talked about if there's any plans to release some older age-dated bottles that have a similar makeup or construct to some of the Dusty's that they've had before. Obviously, some of the thrill of them is that they're no longer produced. And, you know, we've all had a taste to probably try some mid-80s wild turkey, cheesy gold foil, and, and the likes of that. And of course, many of us would like to think that Hell, that, that's never going to happen. No one can replicate Dusty's. But here's what Eddie said in response to that. He said that there is some stuff in development that's as close to cheesy gold foil as we've gotten since that release. The taste is very similar. Well, that's quite the cliffhanger, and that's about the juiciest detail I could find. If you want to read the entire Reddit AMA, you can get the link in our show notes. Today's episode was recorded on Monday, August 5th, which would have been Elmer T. Lee's 100th birthday. We talked a bit on the podcast as Jordan sort of gave us the reminder because it was to see Buffalo Trace Distillery releasing a commemorative bottle in honor of his 100th birthday. Here's a little information on Elmer that you may have never heard before. On August 5th, 1919, Elmer T. Lee was born on a tobacco farm near Peaks Mill in Franklin County, Kentucky. Elmer served as a radar bombardier on B-29 flights with the U.S. Army Air Force in World War II. After flying missions against Japan through 1945, Elmer was honorably discharged in 1946. He then earned an engineering degree from the University of Kentucky and graduated with honors in 1949. Upon graduation, he started work at the distillery, which back then was known as the George T. Stagg Distillery, where he eventually was named general manager. He worked at the distillery and kind of marking a milestone in his career, he created the first ever single barrel bourbon that was called Blanton's in 1984. He then retired in 1985. Elmer continued to serve as an ambassador for Buffalo Trace Distillery and the whiskey world up until his death in 2013. In honor of what would have been Elmer's 100th birthday, Buffalo Trace Distillery has announced they are releasing a 100-proof commemorative bottling of Elmer T. Lee, this 100-year tribute single-barrel bourbon. Proceeds from the bottle of the sales will go towards the Frankfurt VFW Post 4075, where Elmer was a former member. This is, once again, as you'd think, a limited edition, one-time-only release with the same age and mash bill as a standard Elmer Teeley, but this whiskey is bottled at 100 proof, and the suggested retail price is $100. Now, this roundtable, it goes through a lot of topics where we start from the secondary market fallout to deciding if bourbon brands care about their market perception. It's It really goes in a lot of different directions, and I really hope you enjoy it. But for now... You're done listening to me. So let's go hear from our friend Fred Minnick 
with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This morning, I made myself a big old plate of spaghetti for breakfast. That's right, I love eating weird things for breakfast, sandwiches, steaks, spaghetti, random hot dogs, and so forth. I'm not a guy who typically follows the breakfast train of thought. You have to have eggs and sausage. Uh, although if I biscuits and gravy on the menu, it's over. I, I'm definitely ordering that. And I do like omelets and, you know, I, I like to play around, but I'm not someone who kind of follows the traditions of various meals. Sometimes I'll want eggs at dinner, for example. And the only reason why I tell you this is because I feel like people in bourbon often want permission to drink bourbon a certain way or drink bourbon in the morning, you know, before you go out fishing or at lunch when you're out with your colleagues. Bottom line is you drink bourbon how you want to. And there are some rules that you should follow. Like I wouldn't, if you spent $1,500 on a bottle of bourbon, I wouldn't mix it with Coke. If you paid $9 for one, I, I, I would suggest like seeing if you really like it neat and, you know, maybe use that as your cocktail mixing bourbon. But there really are no rules. You drink bourbon how you want to. I will say that I've also stepped out of my comfort zone with bourbon in the last few years by making bourbon slushies. I think bourbon slushies are so wonderful and they tend to be the kind of wonderful introduction. It's a great way to introduce bourbon to someone who does not necessarily like bourbon or want to drink it neat. So if you have a little bit of time, go check out my bourbon slushy recipe. You'll be able to find it on bourbonplus.com here pretty soon. The irony, of course, is of just a few years ago, I was making fun of bourbon slushies. So... Let that be a warning to all of you. Be careful who you make fun of with what they drink, because one day you might find yourself pouring a little bourbon with a bunch of ice and lemon juice and sugar and making a slushy yourself. Also, try spaghetti in the morning. It's pretty good. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. That's at Fred Minnick. Again, at Fred Minnick. Cheers. And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. 
All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. This is the 35th recording of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. This is something where we get some of the best bloggers and best writers on the scene to come and just talk about what's happening in bourbon culture. And we are chock full with all kinds of things that have been happening in the past three weeks. This is something that we do every three weeks to kind of get caught up on really what's happening with bourbon news. And, you know, we're not going to talk too much about kind of what's on the horizon. Everybody knows that it's fall season. Fall season means release season. So we might save that one for the next roundtable after this. But there's a, a new face of the roundtable tonight. Uh, so I want to introduce Sarah to everybody. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, I've been writing uh, in Louisville uh, spirits for about, I guess, 20 years now. Uh, so I wrote for 15 years at Leo as the barbell. And then now I'm over at uh, Insider in Louisville until Wednesday um, as the culture editor. And that's actually shutting down Wednesday. So if there's anybody in town or outside of town that needs uh, bourbon content, uh, let me know. Yeah, she's she's being very, very <laughs> modest about it. So, so, so Sarah Havens was like, she was like the bourbon beat writer for Louisville. Like anytime there was a new release, a distillery opening or anything like that, it by far had the biggest traction that you saw of any sort of local publication. So she, she did a fantastic job in all of her write-ups and being able to uh, come at it with a very journalistic perspective as well. So, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're giving yourself not yeah. a lot of credit there. You need, <laughs> you need a little bit more. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with that, let's go ahead. There's two more familiar faces in here. So, uh, you know, Blake, we're going to have you go last because you're you're always here. <laughs> Jordan, you're up, buddy. Sure. This is Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon. You can uh, find us at Breaking Bourbon and all the socials. Uh, check out the website, breakingbourbon.com, for your latest uh, release calendar and reviews and articles. Cheers. Awesome. Uh, fall release season's coming up. He's going to be a busy man. Very much so. But not as busy as this man <laughs> with his Microsoft Paint job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we upgraded. They now make a uh, WordPress app for filling in uh, states on a map. So Do they really? They do. They've been <laughs> alive. It's like they made it just for you. I know. And like a few years ago, I was trying to pay somebody a couple hundred bucks to do it. Lo and behold, I found it for free, even better because they're <laughs> doing paint on me. So that really, uh, really hurts the release maps. Am I up? Oh, you're up. Okay. <laughs> I am Blake from Bourboner. You can find me usually here every three to four weeks. Um, also, bourboner.com, B O U R B O or B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R.com, all the social medias, as well as sealbox.com. And we did get cool new Sealbox hats in. So, um, yeah, kind of testing out the new logo. And, uh, yeah, so maybe I'll give one away by the end or something um, since we're not allowed to do alcohol giveaways on I guess we're not on Facebook or Instagram, so whatever the heck we want. So free game right now. But uh, yeah, so check it out. Thanks. 
And I guess that kind of leads us into really the first topic tonight is, is kind of that was the big news. You know, it was actually, I think it was two, two roundtables, may have been three roundtables ago uh, when we had Craig, uh, one of the admins from the Bourbon Secondary Market, which was the largest Facebook group that was out there, had around 50,000 people in it. And they got really kind of the first notice that, hey, things are going to start changing. Uh, they tried to change it. They tried to say, okay, we're not going to make this a, a selling form and try to change the rules uh, that lasted like three days. <laughs> and then uh, about a week and a half ago, there was the the kind of basically the CNN article that went out, broke the news and said, Hey, everything that deals with cigarettes, with guns, with liquor, everything, it's gone. Uh, and I don't know about you all, but at least in the span of like 72 hours, like half the groups I belong to were just disappeared for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and so I guess I kind of, let's talk about the fallout, uh, and kind of what we're seeing in regards of, of where everybody's kind of moving to and sort of, uh, where everything is, uh, gravitating towards. And since Blake, you have by far probably now one of the largest Facebook groups out there that are for bourbon, is anybody come knock on your door yet? Or is it still kind of like, Hey, I've, I'm still in the clear. Yeah, no, we've, we've always tried to keep away from that from Bourboner or with the Bourboner group, just because one, I, I felt like there were other groups doing it and doing it well. And I, there was always that thought in the back of, Hey, what if Facebook did decide to care about this stuff? And that's what I think we're seeing now. So we haven't had any issues, but pretty much everyone knows you know, it's not for buying, selling, and trading. Uh, we'll still get the occasional post of somebody, you know, they're doing a little fishing. But um, overall, we keep all that off. So I haven't seen any issues from it. I think it's interesting that, you know, Facebook's deciding to crack down. Um, Buffalo Trace seems to be pretty outspoken about it as well. Um, you know, but it's just whether you love it or hate it, that's a big part of kind of the enthusiast culture is, you know, even if you weren't buying, selling or trading, you were still probably in those groups, just watching prices, watching what goes on. Um, so that's a big part of the group. And I think we'll get into that a little bit later on some of the MGP stuff, but um, or no, that's, that's actual stock markets. Not <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I read that wrong. Um, but no, it, it is kind of a part of the culture. So, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, for me, it's disappointing because, you know, whether you uh, had the money or not to buy, it's still cool to see all these old rare bottles mm -hmm. in your newsfeed. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right about that. I think the culture, just the way that the secondary market have been built around, it is going to take a little bit of a hit. I mean, this is where even people that weren't really into bourbon, they got into it and then they see stuff and they become wild and actually kind of, almost accelerated the bourbon culture a little bit. It's crazy for me why Buffalo Trace hate, hates it so much because, I mean, let's be honest, would Pappy Van Winkle really be Pappy Van Winkle if there <laughs> wasn't a lot of these guys? I mean, it'd still be very popular, but how many guys got into it? Because it's like, oh man, now I could turn around and sell this for a profit. And then it just hypes it up even more. And now every article is like, oh, here's the bottle that sells for $2,300. Well, it wasn't stores increasing those prices. It was these Facebook groups that were increasing the market perception of it. So yeah. I think what's going to be interesting too is even if people didn't trade and they were in those groups, I think they used it to justify buying a lot more bourbon and yeah. their 
and their entry into the hobby, quote unquote, if you want to call it that. I mean, I know a ton of people who you know, have massive collections. They would never sell it, but they always like saying, oh, my collection's worth <laughs> 20 grand, 30 grand, right? And I'm like, well, if you're never going to sell it, it's really not worth anything, right? <laughs> yeah. That's it. But I think they were able to justify that because they kept seeing all the all the bottles move on Facebook. So it'll be interesting to see if those folks, you know, go to another platform, find different sites, or if they kind of shrug their shoulders now, they go, oh, all right, all right on to the next thing. And yeah. um, I, I think that's, you know, that's going to be something that's going to take a, an unexpected but a bigger seat in the overall picture of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sarah, where do you, have yeah. you seen kind of like how things have shifted? Um, you know, I've seen groups completely change. Like there's no more buying selling. There's new, uh, basically they, they try to change the name of all the group names. Right. Like that's, like that's going to do anything. <laughs> like Facebook algorithms aren't so smart, you know, like, like Blake fooled them with one R. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Totally missed it, Adam. <laughs> like, like, where have you seen people start gravitating towards? Um, I mean, I, I've, I belong to a lot of those groups just because I love it. It reminds me of like collecting and trading baseball cards back in the day. And sometimes you can't always get that bottle that you want, but you have like four other bottles that people want. So, you know, I would just kind of use it to trade and stuff. But so, I, I mean, I've seen people flocking to the MeWe platform, um, but I do notice that like it's, like probably cut in half. I mean, that people might put something up there and there's no comments whatsoever. Whereas on Facebook, you would get instant comments immediately. And it, it would probably be only up there if it was a good bottle for like five or 10 minutes. Even 10 minutes is probably a stretch. Yeah. If it's that good of a bottle. <laughs> That's yeah. True. I, I mean, I, I'm on the MeWe thing now too. And I had to, it was just like everything else. I literally had to turn off notifications after like oh an hour because like, <laughs> like every single new post. And I was like, well, I'm never going to check this now because mm-hmm. I go, I go to Facebook for my newsfeed, right? I'll go to yeah. her Facebook group. I'll go whatever. I'll kind of see what's new. And that was always one thing that, Oh, okay, cool. I'll just see what kind of bottles for sale, but now I got to go to a whole different thing to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, I think the, I think Sarah kind of, you, you were right there that trying to bring a new crowd over to another platform is it's always going to be an uphill battle. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to kind of see what's going to happen. Um, and at this point, I think uh, people started renaming the groups of things that don't have the word uh, <laughs> bourbon or liquid yeah. or trading or group or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's interesting to see people's creativity and how to try and get around it. Uh, you know, it's only been a week or two, so we'll see if that keeps up. But I, I do give folks credit. I'm thinking of a few different groups that really focus on, you know, posting different items versus bourbon. I won't mention what ones. But um, I give them credit for their for their creativity. That's for sure. <laughs> I think I saw one earlier that said like I've got two brown bears for yeah, sale. Uh, <laughs> you know they they have twelve they have twelve cousins named Weller. I'll send oh you three hundred sixty fishes. It'll be go to anywhere in the U.S. It's just yep. like at some point you're gonna like okay let's give up on this a little bit. <laughs> but I mean there's I mean the other thing is there's there's other platforms there is MeWe if you really want to do it there's Bottle Spot uh, there's there's other places um, that that you know you can find stuff even Bottle Blue Book you know we know the people behind there like they'll buy your, they'll buy your bottles from you so there's there's always going to be a market it's just not going to be as centralized as it once was yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was talking to um, somebody about it. And just, you, you know, I put this in the chat too, but just the accountability you had because it was connected to people's Facebook. Um, you know, there weren't 
a lot of fake accounts. So yeah. if something went wrong, you could probably track the guy down and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the bourbon mob would be able to take care of a lot of issues that popped up. And you don't have that on a site like MeWe or Bottlespot, which are a little more anonymous. And, um, you know, you lose a little bit of the trust factor when it goes off of Facebook, which is the disappointing part because, I mean, you think of how many times, how many bottles you see that went or were sold or traded on a daily basis and how many actual horror stories you heard from people who got scammed or something. It was very small, Mm -hmm. um, a small percentage. And that's why I think it just opens it up for more of that when you don't have the Facebook accountability. Yep. And, and there was uh, there was one comment in here, um, I believe, I, I can't scroll up and find it now, but there was somebody that said that they didn't really know too much about bourbon until they were introduced into the secondary groups. And that kind of what introduces you to all these other bottles that are out there in the market. That was kind of my first introduction to a lot of this too, is uh, I remember the first time that I, I was joining this group that I'm not going to say any names, but when I was into it, I remember seeing like the first bottle of like Willett Family Estate. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Like, how can I get my hands on it? I mean, I went around forever going to try to find it. And I didn't even know the entire time. I just had to drive 45 minutes down the road to Barstown to go pick it up. Like it was there. It was always in the gift shop. So, you know, there's there's definitely like, there was an educational factor of, of what this brought to a bourbon consumer. Uh, but I think on the flip side, there's also this kind of... Uh, piece where it says people become a little bit immune to other everyday bottles because all they see are unicorns and that's all they think are really good. Uh, so there is, there is a, there is a downside to that as well. So uh, as we kind of like shift focus here, you know, one of the big things that also happened uh, last week was MGPI. Anybody that is following bourbon is probably listening to this podcast is knowing that it is a huge contract distiller that's out there and their stock just plummeted this past week. Uh, it went from a pretty, pretty good sizable investment. If you're into it about five or six years ago to something where you're like, okay, probably should think about selling at some point, but whatever goes, I mean, we're also kind of like in a down, uh, downturn right now. Uh, if it, maybe if anything, now's a good time to buy. But what happened was, is uh, Barron's, Barron's.com wrote an article and talked about the sales of aged whiskey actually fell in the past quarter uh, at MGPI. And it actually sent the stock down about 26% uh, back on Wednesday, July 31st. And historically, MGPI has been a big name spirits outfit like Diageo. And they decided a long time ago to bet their popularity on building up some aged inventory. Uh, And MGP, at some points, they were actually getting the, the price that they wanted for it nearly three times of their actual cost. But the volumes just weren't there as I had hoped. And the way this article kind of summed it up was that some customers were having trouble raising the funds to make these large purchases while others were waiting to see MGP would drop its price. Now, Blake, I'm going to hand this over to you because I know me and you, we've seen the MGP price list before. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this has this is kind of valid that it, they really were kind of trying to make it really out of out of the world here that they're not, nobody's going to buy it if if you have the if you if you don't have the wherewithal to spend that kind of cash? Well, well I mean, I have no doubts that it slowed down based on the price list. I mean, looking back, so we bought, it was, it was 12 barrels of just under 10 years. So it was nine years. And it was, I want to say it was around $3,000 a barrel. 
right now, the price list I'm seeing $3,000 a barrel probably gets you like a two-year-old product um, from MGP. Maybe maybe four-year-old, five-year-old, if, if you find the right broker, that kind of stuff. So I have no doubt that people were slowing down on, on their buying and, um, you know, cause you, you look at the amount of cash that it would take to do because, you know, MGP only sells in really big lots. Um, you know, you can't buy five or 10 barrels from MGP. It's gotta be, you know, probably a half million dollar buy to buy from them. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think the appetite for MGP selling probably got a little bit ahead of them and with what people were willing to spend because then people are doing the math and it's like, all right, how many hundred dollar bottles can we put on the shelf? Because, you know, if, if we're having to buy at this price, that means our cost is X and we got to retail it at Y. Um, and so I, I imagine there was a slowdown and, you know, who knows, maybe it is people trying to negotiate or, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting to see that play out on like a big scale of a publicly traded company and, uh, you know, their stock market taking that big of a hit in one day just from that. But I'm I'm not too shocked at all that there was a little bit of a slowdown in there. But overall, I don't think that'll slow down the market. You know, all they have to do is reduce their cost or reduce their price probably 10 to 15 percent and it'll probably pick right back up. Um, and they're, they'll still make way more money than they were five, 10 years ago. So um, I, don't, I don't think it's anything but a small bump in the road at this point. And Sarah, I'll ask you a question real quick, because sure. uh, uh, David Jennings over Rarebird 101 just said that MGP is now competing with some good new distillate like Willet and Nura. Mm-hmm. Like, do you kind of agree with that, that the days of, you know, thinking that you can just get seven year MGP at a lower price point is, is kind of done. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've got like Bardstown bourbon company coming on. I mean, I don't know if that's more for one level up from a consumer or, you know, just one dude trying to start a business. Um, but I think more and more competition is coming on the scene. Um, now, obviously they're not, they're distillate and it isn't as old as MGPs, but uh, if people are willing to wait for the price to come down a little bit, I think, um, think they should think about that and like it said the article said i think maybe us talking about it you know has kind of driven people away so maybe we should just you know <laughs> i thought that was funny Keep at the end of about that it yeah. anymore. right <laughs> we shouldn't put all of our secrets out there <laughs> i think so what's, what's interesting is if you look at right mgpi stock price i mean this really resets it to it basically resets all the gains that they made in 2019 Right, because there was a huge, they were building up pretty good in 2018. Then there's a big dip towards the second half of 2018 going into 19. Then there's a huge run. And it just looks like the market's trying to figure out what to do with them. Right. I think that a pretty consistent gain up through mid-18. But from here on out, I'm just looking at the stock chart. It's it's kind of all over the place, up and down, up and down. Um, so I think the market's trying to figure out what to do with them. I think Sarah's right. There's a lot of new players coming online, right? Um I don't think they're going to be going anywhere. I think the market's probably trying to see what happens with overseas markets because that really is the next big area to really put a lot of the source bourbon into. So it's just it's just buying its time and feeling it out. But uh, I don't think there's any crisis for them to really worry about per se. If anything, it's probably a good time to buy. Right. <laughs> you know, I remember looking at 
the price list and stuff like that. Maybe Blake just, he's got bigger pockets and they gave him a better list or something like that. But I remember when I was looking at it, even the stuff that you could get your hands on, uh, like their high ride mash bill and stuff like that. It was, they only had like two to three year old age stock. Like that was really it. Nobody, there was nothing that said, Hey, here's our seven to 10 year stuff. Like I never saw it. Um, now, when you want to get into higher ages, they definitely had like corn whiskey and they had some other stuff, but not just some of their, their regular bourbon mash bill. Uh, Blake, did you ever see some of those things of, of higher ages of just the, the bourbon stock that they had? Not within the last three years. I haven't. Um, and that's what, I don't know where it all went because obviously they had some of it. <laughs> Somebody had some of it. Um, but yeah, I, I I haven't seen anything over probably five years in quite some time. Um, and yeah, so I don't know if they just sold out of it or, or maybe it's the same thing. They're just holding out for that higher price. And, you know, I'm, it's getting cut a couple of times before, you know, makes this price list down to me. So uh, I'm, I'm not seeing those prices, but um no, it, it seemed like that all evaporated about two to three years ago, and most of the aged M- MGP bourbon ha- was gone. So, um, yeah, it, it is interesting to to kind of see how that plays out. And somebody made another good point in the chat is, you know, who they're the the distilleries and brands that are buying this. A lot of them were doing it while their own distillate gets ready. You know, somebody like a Traverse City. Um, Let's see, New Riff, uh, there, you know, there's countless others. Their stuff's ready now. Yeah, Smooth Ambler, like, so they're no longer relying on it. Now, that's not to say that there's 10 more in line right behind those guys. But, you know, eventually you would think, and then you get like a Bardstown Bourbon Company that's coming on and they're pumping out a ton of um, barrels right now. Castle and Key's doing a lot of contract distilling. So, so there's a lot of other players in the game. Um, but ultimately, just you know, how strong is the demand side to to pull all that through? So, but even with all those new players, it's still going to take time for it to mm-hmm. to come to you know to come of age. So it'll be interesting if MGPI actually has more in reserve that they're just not showing their hand on. And I mean, right now everyone's going right. If you want high age fourteen, you're you're going after Dickel. Right, you're going after Tennessee whiskey, and again, there's a, there's not an unlimited supply of that either. There's a there's a finite amount that everyone can go after. So when that dries up, either you know MGPI has stocks to go for, or at that point you're looking at trying to beg a Kentucky a big Kentucky distillery to give you some age stock. But if not, the market's going to be if you have any barrels sitting around, it's going to be right for the picking. Yeah. Yep. Sir, I'll, I'll make you kind of look into the magic eight ball here because I start thinking about this and I see I see kind of what everything that goes around comes around sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so when you look at what happened to the market where, I mean, if it just not even long ago, three, four years ago, like nobody gave a crap about MGPI. Everybody used to look yeah. at it and go, eh, MGPI, I don't want it. And then whatever happened in the past year or six months, whatever it is, like complete 180, everybody's going bash it over it. And, and now since we have all these new players coming on, mm-hmm. now you're going to have this kind of like bulk source market that is Kentucky. It's got that Kentucky name to it. Yeah, so where do you kind of see like in, if, and if everybody's laying down today and we fast forward five years from now, six years from now, is MGPI really going to be able to compete with all these brands that are laying down stuff that now says Kentucky on it? 
Right. I mean, that's a good question because it's all about marketing. If you think about it, I mean, sure. MGP knows how to do it and makes good juice, but if you want to market your, your, you know, bourbon, a Kentucky made product, Kentucky bourbon, there's a lot behind that, you know, that MGP can't give you. Um, so I think, I don't, it's going to be interesting definitely to watch. I think. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I didn't even think about, you know, think about all the controversies some brands have had because they mislabeled their product because it Mm -hmm. didn't say distilled in Indiana, you know, like, the Templetons and um, others where it kind of adds a little more uh, ambiguity to, to some source products because if it just says distilled in Kentucky, who knows where it came from? Right. Um, that's interesting. Absolutely. And, and Jordan, we got to give you a shout out real quick. Did you just like come into like a huge batch of Elmer T. Lee? Cause <laughs> Elmer's 100th, it would have been Elmer's 100th birthday today. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. What it turned 100 today. So a little tribute, little cheers to uh, Elmer. Yeah. There we go. Shout out to that. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw him, I saw him drinking it. He's got like a case in his background. I was just kind of curious what was right. going on over there. Yeah, that's his 100th hmm. birthday. I thought I thought you got the phone phone call from your local and you were like actually it's, so this is the round table's turning into the secondary market. This is now where it's moved to an actual auction <laughs> and uh, go. <laughs> just just hold up a sign in front of your camera like what, what you're doing right now. <laughs> There's a trained auctioneer, she's gonna go, oh you got it. So so as we kind of like tail off on that last comment, talking about like where could MGP be in a few years versus where Kentucky be a few years, all this this other kind of stuff that's coming on the market. You know, there was also something that came out in Whiskey Advocate uh, this past week that talked about Missouri is now joining the ranks of Kentucky and Tennessee and actually putting in new legal uh, rules, I guess you could say, to actually have its own style of whiskey, and in this case, bourbon. So according to House Bill 266, that was signed back on Thursday, July 11th, any whiskey mm-hmm. labeled as Missouri bourbon must not only meet the federal standards for bourbon, but also must be mashed, fermented, distilled, aged, and bottled in the state. Aged in oak barrels manufactured in the state and beginning in January 1st of 2020, made with corn exclusively grown in the state. So this law goes into effect on August 28th. Now, uh, Sarah, I'll kind of point this one over to you a little bit. Uh, do you see this like as a, a foreshadowing effect of we could see other states coming online? I know we, we kind of saw this with the Empire Rye thing before and stuff like that, too. Um, I think, I mean, right now, every state actually does make a bourbon. Um, now, Missouri is doing their stricter laws, like kind of like we do and Tennessee does. Uh, I think it's only a good thing to be transparent. Um, and especially they're trying to keep everything within the state. And that don't, that don't helps the uh, you know agriculture part. It helps the, they said in the article there was, they grow a lot of oak trees so that, you know, their barrels are the best, they say. I mean, we can decide to disagree with that. But, you know, <laughs> if they want to make anything more transparent, I think it's, it's a good thing. What about you, Jordan? Kind of get your thoughts on this. So this is interesting, right? I think that's a bold move for them to do, mainly because I'm sure, I'm sure you, Kenny and Blake, you guys get the same question. Countless times a week, well, if people reach out and say, I thought bourbon can only be from Kentucky, (laughs) right? So I appreciate them trying to, trying to, you know, move things forward a little bit, but at the same time, I can't imagine that's going to help anyone by labeling up Missouri bourbon because people are just going to say, wait a second. No, no, no. It's not bourbon unless it's from Kentucky. 
right? So it, it's great. They want to be state centric. Cool. <laughs> you know, but no offense. I don't really think that's going to really help anyone. I mean, the good, you know, the good news is local distilleries don't need to choose to label it Missouri bourbon, but um, on the flip side, I'm sure eventually there'll be a lot of state grants tied to making Missouri bourbon, just making whiskey in the state. I mean, you could, you could also see this as a, as a push for tourism, right? A, a, a Missouri trail or whatever it is. Like they want to do something that gives a little bit of state pride into, into whatever they're doing too. I think, I mean, I think, yeah, exactly. So, and I don't think that's a bad thing, right? Pennsylvania, they recently just launched the, um, the Rye Rebellion Trail, right? The Whiskey Rebellion Trail, I mean. So, and, and that's great for Pennsylvania and scoops into Baltimore a little bit too, but that has a lot of history behind it, like legit history of the whole Whiskey Rebellion and everything else. So it's a little, it's a little hard to fathom what type of history they might attach that. That being said, if a distillery can come up with some crazy story about their grandfather's recipe and everything else, I'm sure a state can come up with a story about why you should have a trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there was, there was a, a pretty good, quote here in the chat. So it came from Blake. Uh, first thing he said, as soon as we started talking about it, he said, oh, I, Missouri resident here. I got some thoughts on this. I said, okay, let's hear it. Uh, he goes, the rules do nothing to actually improve the product in the barrel. True. So, I, and no, maybe this is, this is, this is also just going back to the craft versus everybody else argument. Whereas everything that is coming from the big boys, like they've have, they've had time and they've had stock. Uh, and so, and not only that is you've got economies of scale that make it super cheap. Um, so this could be, like I said, it might have to be a long play for Missouri to get there. Um, but you know, this is funny when, when I talk to Ryan all the time and somebody says, Oh, you got to go check out this distillery. It's so awesome. Like they do this and this. And we're like, yeah, sure. I bet you they ferment some, they grind up some wheat, some corn, and then they probably <laughs> throw it in a mash tub and then they probably distill it, throw it in a barrel. Yeah. Like the process hasn't changed in 200 years. Like we, we quit giving a shit a long time ago. <laughs> and, so, and so it's, it's kind of like there's, there's got to be something somewhere where a lot of these states can find that new, um, I just find, find that, that angle that is starting to make them. You got to differentiate yourself somehow. Get on the map somehow. Just get on the map. I don't know what it is, um, but maybe this is part of it. I don't know. I mean, Blake, you introduced me to Empire Rye. Like, do you, you kind of see this as a move forward for a lot of people in different states? Yeah. I mean, but you think, how quickly can we burn out on it? You know, we got 50 states that we can, everyone can have their own. <laughs> their own bourbon. Um, I'm I think it is, I'm, I'm waiting for the Hawaii one to come around. Cause yeah. I'm, going, <laughs> I'm going to the barrel pick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in for that press trip if it comes out. Um, yeah. I mean, it is interesting to see. I, I think it is cool. Um, the, the Missouri one, I think they've got a little bit with, you know, Cooperage and everything like that. The empire rye, um, they've done a really great job and making a product, um, there is some historical aspects, especially, especially with like, you know, uh, Maryland style rise, Pennsylvania style rise. Um, so it's cool that they designate it. It brings some more attention to it and, and a little more information because while we do get a whole lot less of the question, it, it's still, I mean, it popped up for me like two weeks ago in a comment section of um, this post I had on seal box. And I was like, well, you know, uh, bourbon can only may, be made in bourbon County, Kentucky. Right. Like 
that's just not right. Like, <laughs> I thought we were past that. But a lot of, I mean, the average consumer, a lot of people still think that, right? Yeah. I go yeah. so far as the majority still think that. Mm-hmm. It, I hope not the majority, but you're probably right. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, so it is cool. It does kind of give a little more um, credibility to some of these distilleries. Uh, like Jordan said, I wish there was something that improved the product or, yeah, I think it was Jordan who said that or no. There's another Blake in there. Blake's always have the most insightful comments. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I wish there was something like like a straight des- designation. A state would do something like that that says, okay, it's or a bottled and bond, you know, something that that has a year state year age statement on it um, that really does improve the product where it's cool to say, yeah, all, all the the grains, the oak and everything's from this state, but, um, you know, it could still be pretty bad, bad, uh, bourbon in those bottles. Um, but it all in all, it's, it's all about marketing. So if it gets the name out there more, it gets more people drinking bourbon. Um, I'm for it. I mean, I, I just think they, they took it almost a little few steps too far. I mean, it was literally, mashed, fermented, distilled, aged, bottled, right. Asian oak barrels that were manufactured mm. in the state. It's grains grown there. But yeah. I mean, what else are they going to do, you know, to make it Missouri? You know, I mean... Well, like I said, I think the part that probably took it, it took it over the edge was like, had to be aged in oak barrels that were manufactured in Missouri, right? Like, <laughs> there's... It, we all know that like... Like Kentucky straight bourbon doesn't have was sponsoring that bill. Kentucky know. oak trees. Yeah. Oh, see, Jordan might have something. It might be Independence State that could have been behind that, right? Because they've got a, a huge Missouri oh. presence. I mean, who really benefits from that, right? So it's going to be it's going to be the barrel manufacturers in Missouri, the people selling trees in Missouri. It's going to be the people growing the grains. It, it's really meant to benefit the local economy. And this is where we get into our hypothesis of things. <laughs> <laughs> what moves the political? Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, but like I said, I, I think, you know, Jordan, you made a really good point there that, you know, it really could be ISC behind that, that really says like, Oh, this should be a part of it. Cause mm-hmm. you know, until I really started getting into this, I didn't really know how many Cooperages we even had really here in Kentucky. Um, and so perhaps there are a few more Missouri that we are kind of, not shining the light on, uh, but it's definitely a, a very valid point that you raise yep. when it comes to it. So as we start moving on here, you know, Blake said something in the, the last segment, really talking about, well, if they're going to do something like bring it, they could be bottle and bond, put sort of age statement. You got to do something that really kind of really wants to make the consumer start gravitating towards it. Um, and this is one thing that is sort of relatively recent that was just announced that it's it's something that we've been all accustomed to in the past uh, two years now of basically every label out there losing its age statement. And this is because of the popularity of bourbon and just not being able to keep up with, with stocks. Nobody could forecast this to, to ever be where it was. <clears throat> However, Beam Suntory came out with a press release saying that Knob Creek is going to be restoring its nine-year age statement on its, uh, on its bourbon. So, Oh, kind of Jordan, like, do you really think that all of a sudden they're like, hey, we got stocks? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, 
the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. Jordan, like, do you really think that all of a sudden they were like, hey, we got stocks. It's only been like a year. Like, <laughs> was this like a like a like a safe face sort of thing? Was this like, you know, I, it's, in, it's interesting. So we just did a, our one of our newsletters uh, contained a, a topic piece on this a few weeks back. So, you know, you're seeing age statements return in a number of ways. Right. So I think the Knob Creek might be a little rare in the fact that it may actually return and may kind of stay the same price for the most part. But what you're seeing is and what we're noticing is age statements coming back but with the price increase or age statements coming back on a limited basis. I'll use limited and loose quotes. Right. So if you think about it, Heaven Hill took off the six year. Right. It's coming back as a seven year is a higher price point. Right, Basil Hayden lost their age statement a while back. All of a sudden, it's coming out as a ten-year limited release that we'll see more often. Right, and we're seeing this seventeen <clears throat> more and more, um, and we're seeing those age statements come back. And I'm still waiting for the big one. Now, this is just speculation on my part, but I'm still waiting to see um, Elijah Craig, just the standard version, come back in a more premium-looking bottle. Well, the bottle took place at a more premium price point, right? Because I, I, I can't imagine that Heaven Hill's not thinking about that. Right. But I think we're seeing that it's not the fact that age stocks, you know, appeared out of nowhere. It's a business. Right. And I'm the majority of the bourbon distilleries calculated and played this out really well, because now people do associate age statements and bottles as being higher, higher quality, more premium and consumers are willing to pay for it. So when those age statements do come back, they're excited for it. Right. And um, love it or hate it. It's the reality. At least people who are bemoaning the loss of age statements have that option, but it's going to cost them a little bit more. I mean, they they could have just as easily said, hey, we're going to come out with a second product line that is nine years at an extra like $15 a bottle and just kept doing their, you know, NAS, seven right. or whatever stuff and just kind of had two variations of Knob Creek there. So I guess, uh, go ahead, Jordan. I was going to, you, you kind of saw that with the Heaven Hill with the white label bottled in Bond, right? I mean, you you had, well, I guess it wasn't bottle and bond, the one other one, but you had the white label and then you had the aged white label. And what did everyone talk about and want? So it's kind of like, well, what's the point of doing the non-aged, you know, the non-aged statement version? So I think people just, if there's two options, people are always going to go for the age statement, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. just economics on that one. 
Yeah, Sarah, I kind of want to get your your kind of take on this. I mean, because we, we look at the market, look at what it is. I mean, we had Bernie Lubbers on the show when Elijah oh, yeah. Craig 12 lost it. And, uh, it, you know, everybody went ape shit. And then, you know, <laughs> kind of talks about like, you know, this is, you know, the bourbon, you know, it's a bourbon business, not the bourbon charity business. And <laughs> he talked about like, well, would you rather just take it off the shelves completely or, you know, just bring it back to whatever it is. However, they're, they're you know, I don't know what, Beam did to try to sit there and try to find these stocks that did this, right. um, but they did it without a price increase. So, so kind of talk about your, you know, kind of your feelings on this one. Um, you know, I think people are tiptoeing around idea of the the bourbon bubble and if it's going to burst or what's going to happen. Um, so, I think, I mean, it's probably a way for them to be, you know, trans more transparent. That seems to seems to be my theme, <laughs> but. Um, I mean, it's a, it's kind of like a an outreach to their fans, saying, "Hey, you know, maybe we we're short on this year, but now we we're back, you know." Uh, or it could just be like, "Don't leave us," you know. There's so much more on the market. We, you know, we value you. Here's your age statement back, and I don't know. That might be kind of naive thinking, but uh, yeah. I'm glad they didn't raise the price because <laughs> I like Bob Creek. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I think one of the things in the press release was talking about uh, how Fred No said when somebody wants to order, uh, you know, you're at a bar, you want to order an Op Creek, you expect it to be nine years. Now, I don't know if that's really <laughs> what is, I mean, it's just that it could just be a, a blanket statement that was given and, and sent out, of course, but that was one part of it. Now, one thing that was kind of coming up in the chat was people were saying that Knob Creek picks, Knob Creek picks are the best value in bourbon. Mm. Uh Blake, I kind of want to get your your idea on that because you know most of them are ten to fifteen years old. Like, is is it really the best value in bourbon you're seeing right now? Um, so Knob Creek picks for me are a little hit and miss at times. I've had some that, man, I'd almost put them up there with like a Booker's twenty fifth release or something like that. And then I've had others. It's like, yeah, this is just like Knob Creek off the shelf. So, uh. As far as price and proof go, I can't think of anyone else that would be better. Um, you know, you're talking about essentially barrel proof, um, 14 years old and $45, $50 a bottle, whatever they are. I can't think of one that would be better in my mind. But um, yeah, I mean, all in all, I think the more aged options we have out there, the better. So that's it's nice to see they brought the the age statement back. Um, I'm actually not going to talk about Bakers because I just don't want anyone messing with Bakers. We're just going to <laughs> stop dabbling with the design and making it single <laughs> barrel and just leave it. I want the nice seven <laughs> black wax top sitting on the shelf every time I go in. So, um, but no, I mean to the original question. Uh, aside from Four Roses, three to four years ago, Knob Creek's probably, barrel picks, that is, Knob Creek's probably the best value there is right now for barrel picks that, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, we, we look at we look at barrel picks. We always talk about barrel picks as, as being one of the things that, you know, if you don't want to go chase after everything, barrel picks is where you want to be. However, it seems like this is always one of the ones that are so oversaturated in the market. Mm-hmm. 
Jordan, do you kind of see that as as one of those things that we're like, there's just so many of them out there. Like it's hard to keep. Knob or just barrel picks? Uh, Knob Creek picks. You know, it's it's not one of those things that people go crazy for. It's not a one or seven. I say that. Yeah, I I agree. And I say that with us having a Knob Creek barrel pick out there right now for folks just with our single barrel club, right? Through our our partner. And it's true. People, I, I think people have a lot more readily available Knob Creek picks at their fingertips um, than they than they realize and then they want because most stores will have a Knob Creek single barrel out there. They're pretty easy to get. Um, they may not always be like a 14, 15 year old, but they're pretty they're pretty well established as an easy pick for stores to do, right? And for the most part, it's uh, one of the ones that you just get used to knowing that yeah, for the most part, a few times you'll be able to get a Knob Creek barrel pick, right? So the excitement factor I think isn't there as it might be for some of the other barrel picks that people do. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen the same thing with your barrel club picks too, that you've done them and like the same thing. And Sarah, I'm sure if you have a favorite liquor store that you go into often in Louisville, I'm sure yeah. you've seen a Knob Creek barrel picks there. It's just one of those things that's I'm not sure if it's oversaturation or so much they're just readily available. Even if it's just one or two, you know, a year or two or three a year, it's more available than you might see some of the other brands out there that stores are doing single barrel picks for. Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of toss this out to the group too, um, because I don't think I've ever had a Knob Creek single barrel pick that has like blown me away. Um, but I've also like, when we've done the Knob Creek barrel picks, like you go there or you get the sample shipped to you and you're tasting them. There's not a huge, very difference between mm-hmm. them. Like it, they just seem like they seem very they're all the same to me. I mean, I haven't really found like some that are just like crazy off profile. Like you have some that are like with Buffalo trace that are just like, you never would expect to this be Buffalo trace versus some that are very sweet. And uh, you can say that about a lot of different brands out there, even new riff being one where you get a bunch of different flavors out of uh, these barrels and stuff like that. I'll kind of toss it out to you all. Like, have you seen like a lot of variance in your, in your Knob Creek single barrel picks? Um, so to me, the beam, kind of that funky beam, peanutty, wet cardboard note always shines through. Um, nothing, nothing's a sell point like that. That yeah, I know it, it sounds bad. That's why I led with peanuts. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I have had a few that I'm like, wow, this is really good. Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't say they're all the same. Um, but, you know, you think about other, well, I guess pretty much everyone is using the same mash bill, same everything. So um, Beam definitely has a lot more to choose from. So if they're going for a profile, they've got plenty of barrels to pick from, to find, to put into the single barrel program that are all pretty similar. So, um, but, you know, I'll defend them a little bit there and say I, I've had some that are definitely better than others and some that I thought were standouts. But I think if you put really anything beam in a lineup and you nose down the line, you're going to pick that uh, pick that out immediately. So I think that plays a role as well. Does anybody else get a little like turned off sometimes when they only roll out three barrels for you too? <laughs> Travesty. It's a, uh, yeah. You're like, come on, I'm better at this. Like that, that's where you bring your own drill and just start walking through right. the warehouse. <laughs> Cause they love that. Yeah. 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 You know, if you want to get arrested and never invited back again, that's, a, that's the, uh, the recipe. 
<laughs> All right. So let's go ahead. We'll kind of shift it to maybe one of the last topics for the night as we, we start winding this down. But it's it really plays into really well of 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 that last topic, because, you know, Jim Beam is has done a very, very good job at, at looking at the market, looking at its consumers and saying, like, hey, let's restore this age statement. We're not going to raise the price. We're not going to do anything like that. Um, you know, and there's other brands out there that aren't handling this in the same exact way. So let's talk about the impact of what brand perception really is. So you've got Buffalo Trace. Um, you know, they stated that they will never raise their prices. Uh, you've got Heaven Hill who did the exact opposite and raised all their prices. I'm kind of curious on, on, and Sarah, I'll kind of let you kind of go first here. Like, what do you think is the the brand perception people will have when you have something like that was an example like that where somebody's raising prices, somebody's saying I'm going to keep them steady. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like we're we're already getting into like political debates, like yeah. like I'm going to raise taxes, like no, you're not, like it, you know, it's it's yeah. it's kind of like that. So kind of kind of talk about like how do you see brands in a certain light when they when they do this sort of thing. Um, I'm, I think at the end of the day, people like what they like and they're loyal. Um, I think, I mean, the heaven Hill thing, you know, taking it off the market and then raising it a year and and putting, you know, raising the price on it. That was a little like, you know, like, come on, you know, I'm, I'm brand loyal to you. But at the end of the day, like you guys were saying, it's a, it's a business. And if people are willing to pay it, then, then why not? But I think, I still think at the end of the day, you have your favorite and that's what you're going to go to if you can find it. And I, I have to kind of correct myself a little bit because Matt Cusick in the chat said, well, BT just raised the prices on OWA. And I was like, okay, yes. <laughs> okay. They did do that. Um, some of their kind of lower end brands. Yes. They're, I shouldn't say lower end, but they're uh, some of the more everyday consumer brands. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, sir, more of their premium items pretty much staying level field. Their, their B tax and the pappies of the world. They're really kind of, Staying there for at least as at least as far as we know. We'll see when the press release comes out in this fall. <laughs> yeah, I'd be shocked if they raise those prices more than it'll be up ten dollars. It'll be what? What are we at now? To like ninety nine, ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. It'll be up ten dollars. And you know, I it, it is a. It, it's funny how short our memory is on all this stuff because you know I feel like we pick on Heaven Hill a little bit because they've seemed to have done the most with you know Elijah Craig eighteen going away, coming back at $110 more, you know, no, we're not dropping the age statement of Elijah Craig. Oh, there goes the age statement. So we're going to pick on somebody else. So like uh, Buffalo trace, they raise OWA prices higher than Weller 12. There's all this, you know, if, if you look at what they're, what's going on behind the scenes with a lot of the, what these stores have to do to get, you know, Sazerac and Buffalo trace products in that's to me is almost even worse than some of the other people, but everyone has a short memory. Am I going to not buy a bottle of George T stag tomorrow because my retailer went in debt buying, you know, Wheatley vodka so he could get that one bottle. No, I'm going to buy that bottle. (laughs) So, you know, it's the whole consumer, not to say that a lot of these distillers are bulletproof, but there's so many new people coming in who just don't care or, will never know like the details of stuff that goes on. I think, you know, the, the brands and distillers feel that a little bit and they just keep moving forward. They, 
increase profits, they increase expansion, whatever it is. I just want to drink good bourbon. And, you know, I, I can't think of one distillery that's done anything that's like a, uh, um, you know, I will never drink them again because of it. Um, I, I mean, shoot, I tried Templeton a few months back after I swore them off because of all their flavoring and no, we don't flavor and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's not as bad as I, you know, yeah. I was thinking it was terrible, but it's not that bad. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot of room for, for distilleries to move right now, especially with so many new people coming in. I think it's a, it's on the flip side, it's a fine line, right? So I, I appreciate what Buffalo Trace is doing by artificially keeping prices low on some of their products because you have to remember the world we play in, right? We drink a lot of their spirits, but we'll go back to bourbon most often. Mm-hmm. But the average consumer, you're competing not just for for you know what they buy on the shelves in the bourbon section, but if you piss them off enough and they start going to discover other spirits, right? Take a bourbon guy, all of a sudden he's really into rum or he's really into Armagnac, or he's really into Mezcal or anything else, right? They may not return to, to the bourbon section anymore. And yeah, you may have actually pissed off that person enough that once they found another spirit at a valuable price, they might just be done with bourbon. So it's that fine line that you have to play of um, capturing the consumers who are entering into the, to the bourbon world and are willing to spend money, but also those longtime drinkers who are willing and able to switch spirit categories and don't have the discretionary income to just buy everything everywhere. I'll buy everything everywhere. Wow. I mean, we might buy everything everywhere, but you know what I mean? Is <laughs> like if travel takes you to the right place and you see the right bottle. Yeah. Well, of course. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Go ahead, Blake. The whole new market because there, there was the guys who were just completely brand loyal were, if they needed bourbon, they walked in and grabbed a bottle of Maker's Mark and there was nothing else. And now I think it's a little more of people are exploring. So um, I think brand loyalty that's being built and you know, kind of the, the goodwill um, will mean a lot in the coming years. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody brings a, a very valid point to this because when you look at how brands are handling this, they're all doing it different ways. Um, and I think the one thing that people or the brands have to understand is that this is a long game. Um, if you're, if you're trying to go out for the short game, you're only going to succeed in the short game. Uh, and if you are trying to make a lasting impression, that's going to last for decades, you know, making sure, you know, trying to raise prices, trying to do this, who knows, it, it could backfire. Um, you know, we've talked about it on the round table before, and I think Blake brought it up that, we, we could just be now experiencing the very beginning of what could be a super, super, super premium market where there will be a need to have $1,000 bottles of bourbon, like regularly on the shelves yeah. um, as, as we try to compete with scotch and stuff like that. So seeing as how, I mean, it, it, I don't know. And I look at it from two different angles now that I'm kind of saying, and I'm kind of flip-flopping on myself. It's kind of like, yeah, maybe they should be raising prices. And then the other side of me is saying like those bastards, why are they raising prices? Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's, that's sort of like the, you know, we're, we're in a very transformative time, I think for bourbon, where we see this massive growth, this massive opportunity. And it's either like, which kind of game you're going to play and, and where can you either increase profits a little bit that makes, makes you have a little bit more longevity versus where are you just basically taking advantage of the market and saying, I've got a 12 year old MGP bottle 
and I'm selling it for $250 a bottle. Yep. Right. Like that's, that's short-term thinking. And so we'll, we'll kind of see exactly how that sort of plays out in the, uh, the upcoming, upcoming pieces here. But, you know, I think that's going to kind of uh, round out a lot of the questions that we had for tonight, really looking at exactly the market, where it is. I mean, we covered, we covered a lot tonight. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I feel like we <laughs> can knock out topics when there's only four people here. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, we were bam, 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 bam. All the way here. I mean, we covered the second. MGP stock prices, Missouri bourbon, Knob Creek, brands. I mean, everything. <laughs> So it was, it was awesome to have everybody on here and even uh, huge thanks to everybody uh, that joined in the chat. I know some people were sitting there uh, saying that, you know, you know, Blake had talked about like, yeah, buy a bunch of Wheatley vodka so I can buy that. And everybody's talking to <laughs> like, Hey, I love, I love Wheatley vodka. And everybody's <laughs> like, Everybody's like, this is a safe space. Fred's not here. We can talk about vodka. <laughs> we can mention it now that <laughs> comments don't save. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So as we sort of start closing this out, uh, I want to give everybody a chance to say, uh, you know, kind of where they're, where they're from, where they blog, everything like that. So Jordan, I'll let you go first. Yeah, this is Jordan from BreakingBourbon.com, one of the three guys who runs the site. You can find us on all the socials and Patreon at Breaking Bourbon. Uh, visit the site for our updated release calendar that goes out on an almost daily basis and uh, your latest reviews and articles. Awesome. Sarah? Um, yeah, so I have my uh, blog still, my Barbell blog, which is uh, www.barbellblog.com. And I suppose I'll be ramping that up a little bit um, until I uh, find some outlets to write in. Um, and also, I'm doing uh, tuk-tuk tours around downtown Louisville for uh, Bourbon City Cruisers. So you can uh, go online at bourboncitycruisers.com, and I can take you on a cocktail tour or a distillery tour. Or you got to request Sarah, tour. though. Yeah, yeah, you have to. <laughs> and tip her well. Tip her well. Right, yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> and Blake, go ahead. All right, I'm Blake from Bourboner, B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R.com. Facebook. We were talking about earlier, that that extra R is going to throw off all the Facebook. (laughs) It's it's got me like... Yeah, the spelling is is throwing me off tonight. I don't know why. But um, anyways, yeah, find me on all the social medias. Uh, join the Bourboner email list to get an email every Friday with all the bourbon roundup from what went on that week and in articles, reviews, all that kind of stuff. You can also find me at sealbox.com. That's S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S for any craft spirit needs you have. Once again, it's been fun. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You know, this is usually when I turn it over to Ryan and have him close it out because I always put him on the spot like that. I'm like, hey, I'll do my thing. And then like, Ryan, go ahead and do it. And he's like, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, I'll go ahead. (laughs) Always able to do that. But I'll go ahead and do that. You know, once again, everybody, thank you for coming on. It was a a fun discussion. I thought we we talked about a, a lot of good bourbon culture topics that are kind of really top of mind, some, some news and stuff like that. We really didn't really dive into our, our eight balls tonight and try to figure out a lot of like future, you know, future <laughs> thinking and stuff like that. But, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of stuff coming up here with the fall release season and uh, looking forward to a few more of these here as we start closing out the end of the year. I think we only have like, Oh gosh, like three or four, probably four, maybe four or five left. So oh. start thinking about it. Yeah. 2019 is coming to a close. Yeah. So how about it? How about it? So uh, once again, thank you all for coming on. If uh, Make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, 
support the show, be like the people that are helping us make the show bigger and better every single day, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. And if you have those show suggestions, things you want to hear, um, other bloggers you'd rather see on here because these guys are, you know, Jordan and Blake, they're, they're on way too often. So if we want to kick them off, <laughs> somebody else's shot, you just let they're me know. off the island. <laughs> nah, never. We always got to have our regulars on here. So, uh, so send us an email, team at bourbonpursuit.com. And with that, we'll see everybody. See Blake at bourboner.com just so I can see you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll screenshot everything and send it to our group chat. Too. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks everybody and we'll see you all next week. Bye.